Hello, ahlan wa sahlan. That means welcome in Arabic and you're very welcome to the Boundless Book Club. You are here with Annabelle, Andrea, and me, Ahlam. Most authors we meet in our day job at the Emirates Literature Foundation tend to be wonderful, humble creatures who happen to be able to create magic with their words. But the writers we'll be talking about today will be forgiven for having a big head as they are a very big deal. They may be unassuming, but this podcast can barely get off the ground with the heavyweights we have lined up for you today. We'll be talking biography, fiction, and geopolitics. You know their names, but do you know their books and should you read them? That's coming up just after this message from our sponsor. Obsession. It's in everything we do. Many people don't understand the power it has, but to us, without obsession, you're nothing more than a mug. We even obsess about the people who obsess about our coffee. When we heard seven out of 10 people preferred our coffee, people thought we should be happy. But our pursuit of perfection said we must better it until we get a perfect 10. Because with a little bit of La Dolce Vita, nobody should have to live with a mediocre coffee. Costa Coffee, obsessed with perfection every day, since 1971. Speaking of books that are a really big deal, mm. um, it's kind of hard to pick a book that's huge, legitimately huge, but still has mileage left for conversation. I'd like to know, what have you brought for us today that is a really big deal? Akhlam. It was hard to pick one big deal author out of our amazing lineup. I'm really, really proud of the lineup that we have at the Live Best this year. And uh, but for me, Elif Shafak, and for many, honestly, is mm. is an incredible name in uh, literature today. So she's been translated to more than 50 languages. And before reading this book, I'd read her work in Arabic, and she has such a huge Arabic fan base. Her work just translates so well uh, and is so relatable as well. I guess she tends to give a glimpse into the region or spiritual uh, sort of beliefs that are linked to the region or the history of the region. And so, you know, being Turkish, she's not very far off. She's, you know, kind of Middle Eastern, uh, I would say. But this book, I'm I'm still not finished with. I'm, I'm about five or six chapters in, uh, but I'm loving it, loving it so far. So the story is of a sex worker in a licensed brothel in Istanbul. Uh, this is not a spoiler. You know, in the first page of the story, you know that she's dead. So she dies in the very first page uh, and is left in the dump. Uh, dumpster and what brought up this story is that uh, Elif has been fascinated with this idea that in in some of the intensive care units in Canada they've noticed that after someone passes away and their heart stops beating their mind is still active for about 10 minutes and so she wondered what goes into that person's mind after you've passed and so the story here is of Leila who's passed uh, her heartbeat has stopped, but for 10 minutes and 38 seconds, her life is kind of flashing before her eyes. And she's remembering things from all the way from birth until where she is today. And it's interesting because every chapter is a minute uh, of that time. 
And so it's, it's structured in such a way that every chapter is very concise. You know, every chapter is rich in, in information, in, 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 about, in, in capturing a period of her life so well together in one minute. And, you know, she, she remembers these memories by things like the taste of salt or the taste of sugar and lemon uh, or the taste of cardamom coffee. Like these are the things that are like the gateways that open the floodgates of life and memories for her from her from her childhood, from her life, from everything that led her to that moment. It's really interesting. Her writing is obviously as as stunning as ever. It's just such a treat to enjoy her way of words. And Andrea and I, before this call, were talking about what a soothing voice she has as well when you hear her in interviews. She has an amazing voice. She has such a way, you know, beautiful way with words, such an amazing way of analyzing things and understanding of the world around her. What Elif tends to do is give a voice to the silenced, you know, the outcasts, um, giving them a voice, giving them, you know, us understanding who they are. And, and, you know, she's spoken in the past in her interviews about, you know, there's a cemetery right outside of Istanbul, which is the graveyard of the companionless and where people's names aren't written and they're just numbers. And she was very curious about this, like who ends up in this cemetery? Who are they? Are they, you know, refugees? Are they people who have been disowned by their families? Why? You know, what's the background? What's the story? And so, you know, she's all about giving that voice to the outcast. And, and, then, and then it's about, you know, your blood family. And some people are really lucky to have that strong connection with their blood families, but then also going through life, you know, if you're not lucky to have that connection with your blood family, then your water family and or the people that you choose throughout life, who you meet, who are there for you, those friendships that become uh, instrumental in picking you up and making you feel like you belong somewhere. Um, and Leila has those, um, I think five or six, I haven't finished the book, but uh, five or six friends who are, are a huge part of this journey um of of her life so far so i'm really really enjoying the read she was short this book was shortlisted for the booker prize in 2019 and i'm really really enjoying it can't wait for her to be at the festival is there anything after reading it that you immediately want to ask her like what's what's a big question at the top of your mind right now oh that's a good and, and it's interesting because I'm going to be moderating her talk at the festival. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. <laughs> I want a preview. <laughs> I've been making notes and and um, and wondering. I guess I'm very curious about um, her writing style as well. Like what you know, it's all in the details for with her. It's like in the ordinary moments where 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 she captures these you know, she says something and you're like, where did that come from? You know, she's, there's, there's a part in the book where she, she says um, that was a secret she kept like, like an oyster keeps a pearl hidden inside. And, you know, where does that come from? Where did these visuals? That's just beautiful. Right. And, and, and there's so many of these little sentences where you're like, how does your mind go there? Is it something that you actually saw somewhere and then made you think that would be a great analogy or is it just something that you imagine I also would love to know whether that's something that came to her immediately or if she sat down I thought now I want to 
have a metaphor here for what that looks like. I want to express this more clearly. And then she worked on it for a week. Yeah. Do you think she'd tell you though? <laughs> I don't think she would. And and also, you know, she 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 does say that, you know, a book should be a very democratic place. Like no matter what my views are, I should offer a place where things are suggested, but I'm not making a decision for the reader and I'm not telling the reader what they should believe or what they should think. I'm just kind of creating a very democratic space. But you know, if you're someone who believes really strongly in, say, feminism or wants to fight against like patriarchal mentalities or societies and things like that, how difficult is it for you to sort of hold back and just keep it democratic and open? I don't think that's possible. I think she is yeah. making these choices even by choosing who she's who's the protagonist of this story. Yeah. That's, you know, a great ambition, but I don't see how how you could. It's a very difficult challenge for sure, but uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's it's a treat. Did you already exist as an Elif Shafak fan when you picked this book up? Like, have you read and reread the Forty Rules of Love? Like, yeah. where? Okay, so so you're yeah. an established Elif Shafak reader, and this is just <laughs> another step in the journey. Okay, for sure. And there's so many people. I don't, and I don't know if it's. Uh, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't, it's in, in my circle. There are a lot of people who will say, Oh, 40 rules of love is just one of those books that transforms you. And when I read it, there's just so many, you know, all of those 40 rules, I've underlined them all. And from time to time, I do go back and have a look and I'm like, it's such a gem. Like it's so, I love the way that she explains, um, you know, sort of uh, Islamic, values in a spiritual way or in a way that makes it more human and understandable and uh, makes it you know waves it and weaves it into the storyline where you know you can watch and um, absorb in a different way and I think you know just her, her talent with words there's nothing that she can't do. Have you read any of her non-fiction before? No I haven't have you? I've only read um, a non-fiction uh, thing she's written, actually. What um, was it? It was uh, The Happiness of Blonde People, which is a sort of a meditation of on identity. It was very, very erudite. It was brilliant. Uh, does, she, does she explain how blonde people can find happiness, perhaps? <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, I think you have to read it. It's very short, but also... Uh, one of those things that you read that you're like oh that's a really you know these are some interesting thoughts I didn't have on my own before so, so who have you guys chosen I think I can guess <laughs> have you what like we work together or something <laughs> <laughs> just for transparency we said we would this episode was going to be about people who are a really big deal and we'd pick someone from our program, but we have not, we have not um, all fought over the same one, which I thought was interesting. We have this program and you think normally there'd be one that's like the big deal that you fight over. And we didn't have that. No. no. We identified different big deals. Our entire program is a big deal actually. <laughs> so um, my author, is a really big deal and he is quite possibly one of the most influential Arab writers of our time um, and he's been described as a paradox 
He is a Christian Arab. He's from the Arab world, but sort of European because he's a long-term resident in France. He's Lebanese. His first language is Arabic, but he writes in French. And his name is Amin Malouf. If you don't know him, you really should. So Amin Malouf uh, started out as a journalist. He writes both fiction and nonfiction. And I have read, um, I've read one of his novels a really long time ago. Um, and now for today, I've read, I've read one of his nonfiction books. And I read this, I read this article about him, about how, because he was a journalist, and then he wrote a novel, and that was like an epiphany for him. He said, as he was writing this novel, he just kind of felt it in his bones that this is what he was meant to do. And shortly after, he became a full-time writer, as in not journalist, um, writer of books. And um, his fiction weaves together historical events with love and fantasy and imagination. And um, although I haven't read everything he's written, I think at the heart of his books, you find this like this tug of war between East and West and themes of identity and belonging. So actually, he's got a little bit in common with Elif Shafak that way, I think. And I've got the first words of his first novel, um, which is called Leo the African. It goes like this. I come from no country, from no city, no tribe. I am the son of the road. All tongues and all prayers belong to me, but I belong to none of them. And I think that's like, I think that's him. You know how they say it's fiction, but is it really? Um, I think I think that's effectively where he's coming from. He is a man of the world and he doesn't really belong to anywhere. And that's really relevant for this book that I wanted to talk about today, which is called Adrift, How Our World Lost Its Way. It came out in September this, this well, September 2020, I shouldn't say this year, last year. And it's a fairly devastating work of nonfiction. He blends, so his family's personal history with historical events, and somehow he takes this sort of fairly regional political picture and uses it to illustrate how we ended up where we are now with the, the sort of broader political movements. And for me, it was really educational. You know, you said, Aklam, that you were making notes as you're reading, how many rules of 40 rules of love? I wish I could have made notes as I was reading this book because there's so much. I think if you know more about the history and politics of this region, you'd probably be able to better absorb his arguments. But I was like, oh, no way! There was a political union between Egypt and Syria. I had literally no idea. So I'd be on Wikipedia every other page and looking up more details about the things that he was mentioning in passing. So. I mean, it was fascinating just for that. But the main points that he is making was how a lot of the problems that we have in the world right now can be traced back to a really quite, um, just like a, a few, a couple of events in the past of this region of the Arab world that have then led to where we are today and what the unintended consequences were of some really well-intended actions. 
Um, and he talks mm. about things like the rise of Maggie Thatcher and Ronald Reagan and the sort of the conservative movement at that time in 1979 and how that has how that has led us to things like 9-11. And there are things that you don't necessarily think are connected, but he makes a very convincing argument that they are. Why was it difficult to read though? Just because it's quite bleak, mm. you know, that he does not see a lot of hope, I think. Um, and and, and it, it's also, he's quite melancholy. Sorry, I was telling you about his background. So his parent, one of the parents, family were doing well, had a business in Egypt, had a nice house in Egypt. They were doing really well. And then the political climate in Egypt changed. So it was time to leave. And they effectively lost all of that that they built up in Egypt. They came to Lebanon and then, you know, Lebanon happened. Um, and then he ended up leaving as a refugee with his, his family, with his wife and kids going to France. Um, so I think there's a lot of, he, it felt like he had quite a lot of melancholy, uh, a lot a, a lot of sadness about sort of what happened to his parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although he doesn't dwell on it. I mean, it's clear that he has some very, uh, very well thought through ideas about this, but he doesn't lecture at any point. You don't feel like he is pushing his political message. And one of the loveliest things, so that it's quite, it can be quite hard to read a book like this. It's nonfiction that's quite despairing of the world we're in, but you open it and on the first page, you just, you read it and you just feel like you're in good hands. It doesn't really matter if it's your type of book or if it's not your topic. He's just like a really great writer. He, you know that he's going to take you exactly to where you need to go he's not going to confuse you or leave you behind he's not going to bore you it's just like a great writer yeah well I mean Malouf and Adonis they are you know two of the greatest Arab authors who are alive today they are um, huge literary names in, in the Arab world and globally you know yeah but yeah it's interesting you so, talk about that melancholy you know authors who live in exile and not um, out of choice, you know, and that yeah. reflects in their art, um, no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it happens to a lot of people. Like I have family from Iran and they are obviously all very, I, they, they mourn what was lost, I think. Yeah. And, and I have friends from Iraq who mourn what was lost when, mm. you know, all the statues, all the art, everything yeah. that's been collateral damage. You know, Lebanon, Egypt, all of those, you know, when you watch old films from the 50s, 60s, and you just kind of wish you had a chance to see that, you know, these, these countries in all of their glory. And it's a shame that we missed it. But here's hoping that one day it'll go back to better than what it was. So who would you have for us today, Annabelle? Oh, just someone no one's ever heard of. Um, Malala <laughs> Yousafzai. She won. Uh, exactly. I know <laughs> this might be a bit of a tough what? episode because, I mean, I'm going to have to explain someone that you clearly never heard of. You know, she won something called the Nobel Peace Prize. 
Um, Never heard of it. She's just an all, she's real life Wonder Woman. Everybody knows Malala Yousafzai. I am familiar with Malala and, you know, vaguely of, of her general story as well. I think she's amazing and all of the work that she does campaigning for education, um, particularly for uh, girls. And I think there's there's a lot that we think that we know. Um, and the book that I'm talking about is her, essentially her autobiography, I Am Malala, that um, she worked on with uh, journalist Christina Lam. And this came out quite a few years ago. And it was uh, nominated for all sorts of awards. It won some as well. And yeah, it's essentially, I, I had never actually read the book. And I think when I approached it for this episode, I was thinking, okay, she's awesome. We all know that, you know, what, what else am I going to discover reading the autobiography? And then I read the prologue and it made me quite emotional. <laughs> Um, and if you haven't, if you haven't read the book and you want a better understanding of her family, it's actually really interesting to go back and read it now, knowing that at the, so at the time she was still, I think in school when she's writing this autobiography. And now we know from kind of her amusing Twitter feed and just general news that she has graduated from Oxford. And I don't know if you remember, but one of the most widely publicized tweets was when she sent a picture of her laptop and her books and her pens at a desk. And she said, and it was basically announcing that she was going to be studying at Oxford. Um, and like they tried to shoot me to stop me from going to school. And now look at where I am. It was, and it was just everywhere. And it was really emotional to see. And it was just, wow. it was just Goosebumps. a beautiful moment. <laughs> So I went back to her Twitter feed to have a look and she's got a really great sense of humor. And one thing that I want to share with you before I talk a bit more about the book is that she re she retweets um, people who've had, who have opinions about her. And one of the things that she retweeted, uh, this was back in July when she graduated, she retweeted someone who said, Malala just graduated from Oxford. The job market is on fire this year and your competition is now a 23 year old Nobel Peace Prize winner. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> so yeah, she's got a really great sense of humor. And the the autobiography starts with her addressing the reader and talking about the moment that she got shot. And basically the story is she was on this bus and this guy came onto the bus and um, asked who is Malala. And nobody said anything, but all the girls on the bus knew who she was. Like they turned to look at her and and she was shot and it starts with that and then it goes back to the beginning so there's a there's a lot of background information about her family her background in uh, the Swat Valley and like with I think from what you've said about the I mean Malouf book this is a really she has a really great overview of what it's like to experience all of these these events that you perhaps you know read about in the news or you read about in history books her family through various generations have experienced them firsthand and this is essentially her family's stories of all of these political events told directly to her and then up to the point where she's experiencing it firsthand when she is confronted by the Taliban so it fleshes out the things that we think we know and gives them a bit of background some of the earlier sections where she talks about the history of like her father growing up and learning to overcome his stammer, I was already familiar with, but it was interesting to see her perspective because I actually read uh, Let Her Fly, which is Ziadine's memoir, um, before mm. I came to the Malala book. So that was really interesting 
but occasionally at points I felt like I'd already kind of read that bit yeah. but it but it is really interesting to read them side by side and how in her book she talks so much about her family and about her dad because they mean so much to her and they're such a close family unit and in Ziodin's memoir as well like it's not just about him because I think the bottom line with the Yusufzai family is like one can't exist without the others and that's the way it feels to them and that's what comes across to the reader as well so you get to experience this wonderful cast of characters that are the you know the real life amazing superhuman you know, family that is the use of size. The thing that makes this memoir is that you have all of this serious, like geopolitical discussion and history, and then being shot by the Taliban, and then her thoughts on all of that, and all of this really serious stuff. And you forget, and you are then reminded that she's just a teenager. And she starts talking about reading Twilight and gossiping with her <laughs> friends about teachers. And that's what makes this such a great read. And it's kind of harrowing to realize that she's you know, she's just a girl. She's just a teenager. So she's really relatable. And then on a totally other level, absolutely not in this amazing way. Sounds great. And do you recommend it? No, not at all. It's awful. No, no. Really boring. Really boring. No, I, I recommend yeah. it. I'm glad I, I, I heard about um, Alif Shafak and Amin Malouf as well. Um, and I never read the 40 Rules of Love, but I'm not sure if it's my kind of thing. I think I think a lot of people put it put me off it. So I'll give it a go. I had the same thing. I because of the name and uh, because of how some people talk about it, it kind of put me off reading it. But then yeah. I read, I know you laugh, but I read The Happiness of Blonde People, and I thought that was really erudite and interesting. And and now I feel like it probably isn't what I think it is, yeah. 40 yeah. Rules of Love. Yeah, I mean, 40 Rules of Love for me also wasn't what I thought it was. It goes back and forth between two storylines, a modern storyline and a historical storyline, and it's a fiction, and it connects the two really well. Um, and uh, I think I think you'll like it. I think you should both give it a go. I have it here. Okay, I shall give it a go. I will too. So it is mind-blowing to me that we're going to hear from all these three writers and more at the MS Lit Fest next month. We are very lucky indeed. We have listeners from all over the world. So I wonder if you have good literature festivals where you are. Do you go to them? And if so, who have you enjoyed seeing the most? And also, have you had the pleasure of seeing Elif Shafak and... What questions would you ask her? Helping you out there, Ahlam. <laughs> Let us know on social media or on email. Call at, you can email us at comms at emiratslitfest.com. Next time we'll be talking about some books by incredibly diverse writers who have mad skills. So do hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss it. That is all for today. Thanks for tuning in. And thanks again to Costa Coffee for the coffee that keeps us going. Thank you.